Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined again by the gamer himself. Go ahead and reintroduce yourself, <laughs> sir. The Pat Cash. How you guys doing? Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Um, okay, so I have to admit, most times I get people on here and I ask them, you know, like, oh, what do you think about this episode? I don't know if this, I, I just messaged you, not like, what, maybe a week or so ago saying, would you like to do this episode? Personally, yeah. though, and I don't think I've ever really said this, this is actually one of my favorite episodes. Um, me me as well, actually. That's why I was pretty hyped when you messaged me about this particular episode. Because, um, yeah, for me, it's it's definitely, like, one of my favorites, for sure. All right. I thought I remembered you saying you were a, a fan of, of Ben, and I was just like, oh, man, like, I just... And I was thinking about everything that this episode has and about how, like I said, basically, when I've had people on, they'll say, like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, one of my favorites, or, oh, I really love this character, and, you know, people have been like, oh, you know, I've watched this one episode, like, countless times, and I don't necessarily have that with this episode, but this is... I would probably rank this in, like, my top five episodes for sure yeah i would agree for sure i'm not i'm not one to like just kind of cherry pick episodes and watch them i like watching the entire show in its entirety um but when i'm doing this and i kind of refresh it re-watching this episode for sure for me in my in my top five overall for the whole show yeah i'm the same way i can't like i just i feel like i have to just watch I mean, even if I, even if it's an episode, like say, you know, season three, like a random episode or something for whatever reason, if I just happen to be watching it, I basically have to watch from there on through the rest of the series. <laughs> I hear you. Um, but yes, we will be discussing the episode man behind the curtain today. And I am just, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I'm looking forward to this one. So we start out with a woman screaming in the woods and a man yelling for her to push. Obviously, this is a birth and it's very intense. The woman is having issues as the man, her husband, keeps encouraging her. Finally, she births a baby boy and she immediately knows something is wrong. But the man is fascinated with his son for a moment. He then realizes she's bleeding too much. He hands her the baby and picks them both up to carry them away. As they come through the trees, they make it to a clearing, which turns out to be near a highway with a sign listing Portland as 32 miles away. The man is yelling for help as a driver finally stops. The man explains they were hiking and she went into labor prematurely. They get the woman into the vehicle and she calls out for her husband, but he's too worried uh, to be paying too much attention to the fact that she's barely conscious. Uh, and she insists that her husband call the baby Benjamin. She passes out before he worriedly calls for her to stay conscious. This is Ben's birth, and these are his parents, Roger and Emily. And Emily is actually played by Michael Emerson's real-life wife, Carrie Preston. Yes, which I found out later after the show, which I thought was uh, that was pretty cool. It's cool, but it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But so. I definitely like the scene, especially like, you know, later on. And I think in the past he's even said like to Jack where he's just like, I was born on this island. And yeah. once again, in this very opening scene, we're just like lie, you know. Yeah. And I think that this like the start of this episode was such an intent, like an intense scene um, where just the way that the episode kicked off kind of like immediately grabbed me. And I knew we were in for a good episode. I like the first time I watched it, I remember having that feeling. Um, and obviously like we both said, it was in our top five. So it obviously lived up to the hype for both of us. So absolutely. 
in the present, Ben is in his tent looking at a doll. The others are still traveling parts of the island as they've been doing for the last few episodes. Richard then enters asking about the doll, and Ben explains to him that it's a birthday present, and today happens to be his birthday, and he slyly asks if Richard remembers birthdays. And again, I've said it before, Ben, one of my favorites, Richard, one of my favorites. And that's actually one of the main reasons that I really like this is because we find out something huge about Richard and we get a lot of backstory on Ben. And this line kind of sets up the thing, the you know, one of the big reveals later, but it actually sets up an even bigger thing for his overall story as well. Yeah, Absolutely. Richard mentions taking a tape back to Juliet, and Ben is confused, saying he recorded a tape yesterday and thought Richard already took it, but Richard says that he didn't. Ben rushes out of his tent and asks for Tom uh, and if he has seen the recorder, but Tom is focused on something else in the distance. Ben finally looks to see, and it's Locke carrying his dead father's body on his back, approaching them. When he gets there, Locke throws the body at Ben's feet, and says that Ben said that he would answer his questions about the island if he killed his father, and he wants Ben to start at the beginning. So this is another powerful scene for me, simply because um, Locke is, you know, on this quest to start getting answers for everything that he was um, looking for. So, you know, we know Locke is, uh, you know, Someone who obviously couldn't kill his father himself. And, you know, we really, uh, I think this, like, really starts to open up more of Locke's character around this point. Is like, we're really seeing him, like, evolve through this quest and try to get answers and try to become, uh, you know, it shows more of that bond that he does have with the island. It does, and it makes me, like, because I was fully on board with this, like, I wanted to know, I mean, I think we all wanted to know basically everything Locke wanted to know as well, like, basically, mm-hmm. what the hell is the deal with this island? Yeah. But, I don't know, I, I kind of felt, and Locke said it a few episodes ago, when uh, when they had, like, the, you know, refrigerators, and, and they were living in houses and all that stuff, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, like, you're cheating, and there was a, always a part of me that feels like when he says, like, oh, you said that if I if I could kill my father, you would show me everything. But there's always a part of me that's like, well, you're cheating because yep. you're not the one who actually killed him. Yeah, I agree. I I noticed that as well. And I kind of felt, you know, I feel kind of how you do on that one as well. I think it's funny that, you know, he has this way about him where he wants certain things to be um, like – Te- not technology proof, but like he he would prefer the hunt and and that grind. I feel like, and then when it came time for him to do as Ben initially instructed him to do, he wasn't able to do it himself, and he got Sawyer to do his dirty work for him. So definitely, I agree with you there there as well. Definitely, um, a little little snippet, I think. Moments later, inside Ben's tent, he and Locke are sitting there. Ben pours alcohol, but Locke doesn't accept it. He simply wants answers. Ben mentions how it's not as easy as opening a book and that he actually isn't the leader of their community. A man named Jacob is. But of course, Ben says that he can't take Locke to Jacob. 
After this, Locke declares that he'll go ask Richard to take him if Ben doesn't want to give him actual answers. But Ben mentions how Richard doesn't know where Jacob is. Ben is the only one who communicates with Jacob. And I wrote, of course, it's actually the complete opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Just real quick there. I think that, like, now's when Ben, like, his character starts to devolve a little bit. And, like, you see him kind of go a little off the rails because he's realizing that maybe he's not the chosen one and he tries to still portray this image that he is but I think he's starting to slowly understand that uh, it may be someone else and he was just kind of a placeholder which I I've, every time I like rewatch it I always think how um, what's his name Widmore sort of did the same thing at a certain mm-hmm. point and maybe not so much because what if the time if my timeline is correct Eloise was the leader then Widmore was the leader then Ben was the leader is that right yeah, correct yeah okay so we don't know how exactly that went with Ben or with uh, Eloise and Charles because they were you know romantically involved and then they weren't but they've always sort of had a thing so I don't know if he ever tried to like usurp the power from her but we know that Ben tried to do that with with uh charles at the one point like especially when uh we see later on with ben taking the baby and and widmore's just like you should have killed it and he's just like it's a child you know and he's basically like questioning and at that in that scene richard kind of looks and gives ben a look where it's like okay this guy is finally starting to come i i always felt at least that it was a look where he's saying like okay he's starting to come into his own he you know we know that we i feel or somebody feels that he may be destined to be the next leader or at least higher up in the the ranking of the others and now we see a very similar thing with Locke and Ben and I wonder if Ben sort of I mean you you know like you said like if he sort of realized it where it's like okay you know now crap you know somebody else is coming in and is going to take my spot just like I took Charles Woodmore's spot you know yeah I feel you I think it's one of those things where it's like he was starting to see the writing on the wall and he saw how the other the other others um like looked at John and I think he started to realize that his people were really starting to believe him in Locke and in what he stood for. And I think that this episode is really where we start to get that evolution um, for it. So, Right. I'd agree. Ben mentions how he was born on the island, one of the few in their group who can still claim this, which of course is a lie. He says how he brought all of the other others there, so Jacob talks to him and trusts in him. Locke basically calls bullshit on this and mentions how if the other others believe this, they're foolish as well. He says he believes there is no Jacob and Ben is just the man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz. Ben asks why Locke believes this, and Locke mentions that if Ben were telling the truth, his hand wouldn't be shaking. Ben realizes that his hand is shaking, and he tries to steady it. Uh, I think that, like, like uh, just the little back and forth between them and the man behind the curtain, like, that comment to me when I initially watched, like, really stuck with me. And I implore people that are either going through, you know, maybe their rewatch or um, maybe haven't looked at it this way. Think from this point forward as or from really now the second that you meet Ben as Henry Gale initially back in season two. um, 
think of him as the man behind the curtain and look at the way that he manipulates situations and really appreciate that aspect of his character. And that's really part of the reason why I fell in love with Ben was because I kind of took that comment to heart. And then when I rewatched the show, uh, you know, a couple of times, I really started to fall in love with like that multifaceted kind of world that Ben brought to the show, um, you know, out of his own mindset, his own manipulation and his own, uh, basically at this point, power hungry. Um, so anyone doing the rewatch, I would definitely say, try looking at Ben from that perspective from the second that you meet him and you may, uh, may appreciate him a little bit more. Absolutely. You could see that even as far back as Henry Gale, where he's constantly, you know, trying to pit Locke and Jack against each other and everything like that, even back in the hatch. And actually now that you, now that you say it, and I'm momentarily reminded of it, of course, Wizard of Oz and Gay, uh, Henry Gale, that's the references there as well. Uh, yep. Henry being, uh, what's her face, Dorothy's uncle and Dor, you know, Dorothy Gale and all that. I, I actually, um, I don't like. It's weird. I I like the Wizard of Oz as a concept. I've never read the book. I don't like the movie. I like I like the movie only up until like the final few minutes because. And I'm, I'm gonna go off on a thing here for a moment. It's fun. Uh, I don't like the movie only because at the very end. The good witch, in quotes, I'll say, uh, says to her, like, oh, all you have to do is to get home is tap your heels together three times and say, there's no place like home. And all I'm thinking, uh, all, every time I watch this, all I'm thinking is, okay, so uh, I went through the, Dorothy, went through the, the poppy field, the monkeys, <laughs> her scarecrow friend, friend got ripped apart, all this other crap, and all I had to do was click my damn heels together <laughs> three times? Yep. I would have turned around and punched her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, I feel you. I'm not a big, I haven't really, like, I haven't watched The Wizard of Oz, and I can't tell you how long. But I do like how they connect, like, Henry Gale, and it's those little things to me that, like, make the show as great as it was. So, yeah. Absolutely. I, I love all of the, like, the literary things, and like like you said, the fact that they'll bring a, a reference like that back, you know, yep. more than a year later. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, we're, when you initially meet, we're a whole season ahead, and people forget these little things. And really that started in the beginning of season one. There's little like Easter eggs that we just never even knew existed until the end of the show. And then when you rewatch it, you see like certain names and places and you're like, wow, okay. Yeah. I remember that name, but I just never noticed that before because I had no idea it existed the first time I watched. So exactly in flashback, Ben and his father are arriving uh, on the dock at the island. It's during the, tar- the time of the Dharma Initiative, and there's even a Namaste sign welcoming them. Uh, they're welcomed by some women before once again seeing the driver who stopped the, uh, to help the day that Ben was born. This is Horace Goodspeed, a high-up figure in Dharma. And, of course, he becomes sort of a recurring character throughout the series. Roger and Horace exchange pleasantries and agree to meet up for lunch after Roger and Ben are through processing. Moments later, the new recruits are watching a video featuring Marvin Candle, who's giving information on the sonar fence and how it's protecting everyone from abundant and diverse wildlife. And I don't know why that line, because, you know, obviously we know that it's actually the smoke monster. I just love that that's how they have to, like, lie to everybody. (laughs) 100%. 
Roger then gets called and goes to sit down to register. Ben is left watching the video as a young girl approaches him. She introduces herself as Annie, and she offers him an Apollo candy bar. We then hear Roger yelling because he is stuck as a workman, a janitor. He was led to believe he'd be part of the experiments helping to change the world. He's told he can apply for something else if it opens up. Leaving in a huff, he tells Ben to join him. And I don't think it was on my first time watching this, and I'm a little ashamed to say I, I, I may not have immediately picked up on the fact that he is Roger Workman. I mean, obviously, by the end of the episode, I got it because, you know, he's yeah. left there in the van. But I, I'm a little ashamed to say I don't think I noticed it at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's like one of those little things that is like really hard to notice sometimes. So I feel like that happens to more people than they want to admit but yeah i think i picked up on it the first time i watched but i also um i may not have i honestly don't remember um but yeah i think it's like one of those little things one of the cool things that i liked about the scene too is like when they're getting off the sub at first ben's father is kind of like oh he doesn't talk much and horace like i'm sure he'll talk when he has something worth saying and i was like that's kind of like very you know child Ben you really don't he doesn't talk very much at all and then it turns into like later in the episode you find out this whole whole road that little Ben goes into and you know a pack that he makes and everything so pretty cool there was somebody else uh, didn't they didn't that line come up again with another character where it's uh, oh um now that I'm thinking about it yeah with uh with Locke earlier um when the hatch exploded and uh, he couldn't speak, and he went on the, like the the, yeah. little, the little vision quest, and Boone was there, and he's like, "Oh, you'll ha- you'll speak when you have something worth saying." Yeah, I 100%. literally am just making that connection now. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, that is. I, I don't think I even I don't realize that either. That's a, that's a really good point. Back in the present at the beach, Sawyer is hiding in the trees watching everyone. He sees Claire and Charlie talking about Aaron, Hurley and Desmond talking about Haggis, before finally seeing Saeed, who he calls to. Upon telling Saeed that he was with Locke, Saeed wants to know exactly where Locke is, why he went back to the others. But uh, Sawyer says there's more important matters to attend to before uh, showing Saeed the tape recorder. Back at the other's camp, we see Mikhail run in looking for Ben, who says he thought Mikhail was dead. He mentions how <laughs> Mikhail mentions how the pylons were not set at a lethal level. Locke comes out as well, and Mikhail questions why he's there and mentions that Locke is the one who tried to kill him. Ben simply says he's with us now before asking where Mikhail was and Mikhail goes on to tell him about Naomi how she parachuted onto the island and is probably back at the survivors camp Ben mentions how they'll be going there the day after tomorrow and that they'll take care of it then but Mikhail insists they need to go now but Locke insists that Ben is going to is not going to help Mikhail because they're going to see Jacob all of the others including Tom Richard and Mikhail are shocked Ben tries to get out of it by saying that he needs to deal with Mikhail's situation now, and Mikhail questions why Ben is even explaining himself to Locke, but Locke begins to punch the crap out of Mikhail. Ben wants Richard or Tom to stop this, but neither do. Finally, Locke stops before asking Ben when they leave. Yep. So, 
I think this just kind of further, like, what I was talking about before, like, how Locke is really on this quest, and I feel the others are starting to kind of look at him a particular way. And I think that, like, Richard, Richard obviously knows the truth, but he doesn't know what Ben has told Locke at this point. So he's not sure. I don't think he's exactly sure why exactly Locke is requesting to see Jacob at this point. Um, or how Ben is going to deliver on that, obviously. So, um, you know, I really like, I like this scene. I just don't understand. I mean, Ben says it a little later where he's just like, you know, you didn't have to beat me Kyle up. And he's like, yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, actually that's the the next thing that I have. And, but I don't, I don't understand why, like, I'm not a tough guy. So I've never been one to be like, you know, I'm going to get my point across with my fists. But I, I don't quite understand why he why he couldn't just be like, no, like, you know what I mean? Like I, Locke always. Yeah, he's he's tough and whatever, but he's never one to turn away from like a shouting match. And I think he could have just as easily gotten his point across with a shouting match as he could with his fists. Yeah, I think this was one of those things that Locke may have been trying to, like, prove himself with all of the others watching that he wasn't going to be made a fool of, I guess. That's the only thing that I could really think of. I can't, I agree with you. I don't really, like, understand it uh, to the sense of why he had to go about it that way. But the only thing that I can think of is that he was just trying to prove a point and a point of, you know, I'm not dealing with this the way that Ben would deal with it with mind games. I'm going to just punch this guy in the mouth, beat him senseless, and stand up and walk away kind of deal. Um, so I, that's the only thing that I could really think of is that he's just, he's overcompensating for trying to prove himself, uh, to the rest of the others. Okay. Cause I know in the past, uh, I, I think there was one or two times with the others. And I know with the survivors, especially whenever somebody like gets into like a big fight, like that, like mm-hmm. when Locke beat up Charlie for, for taking Aaron or when, yeah. Uh, Jack beat up Locke for killing Boone. There's always just like this big thing where just everybody kind of watches in silence and <laughs> they're just like, they're a little upset with both parties. Obviously they, they side more with the person who's doing the beating than the one who's being beaten, but there's yeah. just always this like judgmental silence. And I feel like the others sort of did the same thing here. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um, sometime later, at a stream, uh, Ben says that Locke didn't have to beat Mikhail to prove his point. Moment later, Alex uh, comes in, handing Locke a gun, saying that he'll need it if he's going to see Jacob. She barely acknowledges Ben the whole time before finally turning to him and insincerely wishing him a happy birthday before she leaves. Uh, I think that's... Is this... No, it's not. I was going to say, is this the first time we've actually seen father and daughter together, but it's not. No, it's not, but it's definitely very telling of what their relationship is like. Yes. (laughs) In flashback, Ben is in a class, and they're discussing volcanoes, and the teacher is actually making a model volcano. And I don't know why, but I wrote, I never did this in school. (laughs) I didn't either, actually. Especially at that age. They might have done it in, like, high school science class, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I never, never really got. To. I mean, not that I really wanted to, but like yeah. by the time we anytime like a science fair, not that I ever entered a science fair, but anytime something like that was happening or, you know, anything for extra credit, that was like the one thing that all the teachers were like, don't do this because yeah. they're sick of it. <laughs> yeah. 
100%. Annie, the young girl from earlier, asks about the volcano on the island, and the teacher mentions how it's been dormant for a long time. And I don't know, did you ever see that article that came out a few years ago about the volcano and how it was actually supposed to play a bigger part in the end game of the show? No, I didn't actually. Uh, there was, I don't remember it exactly, uh, but there was something, an article came out maybe a year or two after the series finale. And basically, uh, maybe it was Damon and Carlton or one or the other, but they basically said how they were going to, in the final season, they were going to call back to this moment and the fact that, you know, it was acknowledged that there was a volcano on the island and sort of instead of the heart of the island that we get later on and the, having the big fight and everything there, there was going in the series finale, there was going to be a huge fight sort of in the base of the volcano, which I guess would have taken mm. play, the place of the heart of the island and the fight on the cliffs between Locke and Jack. But ABC determined that it would have cost them too much. So they had to rewrite the entire thing but i guess the whole i don't know they they didn't go into much detail but it was basically going to be how like instead of the heart of the island and the cliffs and all of that it was going to take place at the base of this dormant volcano because they had already established that that existed on the island interesting i may have to try to find that later if I find it, when this episode goes up, if I can find it, I will tweet it out from the Clock Shelves Twitter account. Sweet. An alarm then goes off, and the teacher tells the children to get into their positions. And I kind of felt like this was uh, very much like the, what it would it have been, like the 50s or whatever, when they had like the... <laughs> The, you know, like get under your desks and all that, which like that would not have helped during like a nuclear explosion. But like that's yep. what they always used to tell kids. 100%. I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> um, outside are a bunch of staff, uh, Dharma staff members with guns. Ben doesn't understand. And Annie tells him it's just the hostels. A loud explosion is then heard outside. Later that night, Horace and Roger are at the Linus home discussing what happened. Ben is listening in from another room. Roger mentions how him and other workers were driving back from the flame and they heard an explosion and drove into the middle of a shootout. Horace mentions having ongoing dealings with the natives but can't exactly explain who they are. Roger says he didn't sign up for this, but Horace says that he did this as a favor to Roger. Roger couldn't find work. Ben's getting a quality education. And of course, Roger says he doesn't care about Ben's education. He just wants more money for the danger he's being put in. Ben hears a noise at his window as Roger yells for Horace to leave. As Ben closes his door, he turns around and sees his mother staring at him through the window. He falls over a chair, which causes Roger to come in, telling him to go to bed. Ben looks over and his mother is gone. He sees her in an old picture and cries. It's a, this is a powerful scene. I, you know, I uh, just in general, there's a, there's a lot that happens. Um, you know, obviously with the you know the encounter with the hostels and Annie trying to kind of get Ben to go with her and everything like that. As everyone's getting armed and you're hearing gunshots and explosions and stuff like that. Um, you hear the, the fight going back and forth between Ben's father and Horace. And then, like, out of nowhere, you know, you're hearing the wind and you're, you know, you're hearing all this stuff. And he looks at the window and there's just this blonde lady, like, in the window. And it's like, 
it's one of those things where, like, you knew who she was. He goes over to the picture for kind of, like, some, you know, maybe clarity or confirmation. Um, but it's, like, one of those things that, like, I start to realize, like, how? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's obviously not just a figment of his imagination. And I think, like, Ben is realizing, like, okay, there's something up with this island because my mom shouldn't just be chilling at the window. Right. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, like, he has to look at the picture because he's never seen her. Like, he's never met her, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that yeah. has to be, like, really jarring because he's, you know, like, he knows for a fact, like, she's dead. Yeah. So, like, like you said, like, how is she there? And I don't know. There's there's two th- two questions that I have sort of coming away from this episode, which are, well, one, what happened to Annie? You know, and I guess a lot of people ask that question and people have their their speculation. But my big question is, like, we've seen at various points that Locke is special or he appears special. And, of course, we know that part of that is the man in black's manipulation, basically going back for, you know, all the way to the 50s when when he, you know, he gave Locke the compass told Locke to encounter Richard, therefore Richard kept an eye on him, and really that was all just to set up for the long game. But there are other things where Locke does have like certain visions and things like that. And again, you could just say that that's all the man in black planting these things to further his thing along. Is Ben special? And like, does he have a relationship with the island? And if so, when did that basically stop? Because we see that he... Because like Richard even says a little later... You know, like he questions, did Ben's mother die on the island? Because if that's the case, it's not, it wouldn't be really shocking that he would see her because we know the man in black can take the form of people who died on the island. But yet we, like she didn't. So what, what is his mother? Like, is it the man in black? Is it not? Probably not because they wouldn't be able to cross the sonar fence. But does that mean that Ben does have some sort of communion with the island, as we've always said Locke does? And if so, when did that stop, basically? Yeah, I think he did at some point and at some point worked his way out of those graces. Um, You know, later, I mean, really not later, I guess like when the whole cancer thing happens with him. So it was actually before this. And he has surgery and everything like that. I think that's really where before that where he really started to lose it you know what i mean because really if he was the leader of the others he wouldn't be getting sick like that and that was kind of like where the questioning i think started to come into it so i think around that time period is where he started to lose it i definitely think that he had a special bond with the island maybe not to the same extent as like Locke or walt but uh for sure at, at some point ben was the, either you know, I think the chosen placeholder until Locke arrived or they thought he was the chosen one and then realized he wasn't. Right. I would agree with that. And as far as Annie, I have no idea. You know, I think that's one of those things that may have just gotten lost. Uh, Somebody, uh, Kevin mentioned, I believe it was in the last, the previous episode to this, that, uh, one of the things may have been that, you know, what, and it may be one of the reasons that Ben was so focused on infertility was because uh, maybe he 
got her pregnant. And again, this is all purely speculation, but maybe sure. Ben got her pregnant at one point and she died and that kind of furthered him because you know we like with his mother died uh during premature labor and the fact that you know he he got a woman maybe got a woman pregnant and she died and that would be why he was so focused on the fertility thing which uh in the previous episode um richard says to john about the fact that ben is too preoccupied with the fertility stuff and you know some of the others feel they have a greater purpose for being there and i'm wondering now especially now talking this out i'm wondering if that's another way that he sort of fell out of the good graces of the island and or jacob was because he took the others away from whatever their actual focus should be yeah i think a lot of the fertility thing is definitely a valid point um not to call it like a witch hunt but he's for sure focused on that stuff, especially with, like, Juliet, and then when, you know, he has Juliet doing all this other stuff, but, um, you know, with, with Son and Claire, and that's definitely been, like, a trend throughout the entire show, and then you wonder about what happens with, you know, with the others, and um, that's definitely something that wasn't ever fully explained, but I think that's kind of spot on, to be honest with you. I think that that's definitely kind of what causes that, and uh, I think that's a good theory for what happened with Annie. I wouldn't be surprised. I think so as well. In the present at the beach, Sawyer and Saeed check in Juliet's tent, but she's not there. Kate finds them and tells them that Juliet and Jack went somewhere after she mentioned Naomi. Uh, Sawyer questions who that is. And Saeed questions why Kate would mention Naomi to Jack. Now, of course I actually said in the previous episode, the fact that I think that they told Kate just to see if she would go tell Jack. I agree. I think that was like a, a trust thing. Yeah. They then make a few sarcastic comments back and forth. Uh, before he starts walking away and uh, Saeed yells for Sawyer to play the tape for Kate, which he starts to do. Back in the jungle, Ben and Locke are getting ready to go and Ben mentions how Jacob is real and he's not going to be happy that they visited him. Jacob summons people. That's why his hand was shaking. And Locke mentions how there's a first time for everything and they set off. And I just love this because this is still Ben who know like he knows he's screwed. He knows like he knows that he's never met Jacob at this point, you know, and he, he I don't like at this point, it's kind of like like, oh, shit, like, what am I going to do? And so he just keeps trying to put uh, Locke off where he's just like, oh, he's so powerful. He summons you and Locke is just not giving in at all at this point. Yeah, I think Locke's in this mode now where he's tired of words and he wants action and he has you know, personal quest that he's on and nothing's going to stop him from getting there. Absolutely. You know, and I, th- I think that this is just him being as determined as ever. So, well, yeah, he's kind of back on track now over the, you know, in part of season two, he lost it in part of season three, he lost it. And so, you know, it seems like at the end of almost that towards the end, middle to end of every year, he gets back on what he thinks his focus is. And it's about that time of the season. So, yeah, <laughs> In flashback, young Ben is sitting with Annie on the swings. He unwraps a present that she's given him, and it's the dolls from earlier in brand new condition. One boy and one girl, and she says that it represents them and wishes him a happy birthday. 
Later, back at the Linus house, Ben walks in to see Roger passed out surrounded by beer cans. Ben covers Roger with a blanket, but this causes Roger to wake. He sees the gift Annie gave to Ben and mentions how it's Ben's birthday and he forgot, but it's difficult to celebrate the day that Ben killed Emily. He recounts part of the story and says with disdain how she's gone and he's left on the island with Ben. Ben runs out crying straight for the sonar fence, hearing whispers. Emily then appears on the other side of the fence and he starts to go towards her, but she yells for him to stop, saying it isn't time yet. She leaves and he cries out for her before stumbling back to the barracks. Now, this is the point where I thought, okay, that's why I like at one point I thought this is why it could be the smoke monster because it's Mm -hmm. on the other side of the fence. But then thinking back again to the the previous scene where she showed up, that's inside unless somebody turned off the fence, which is possible for sure. But, you know, that's that makes me sort of question things like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I agree. I like the scene with Ben inside the house, like all you can think of, like whether you hate Ben or not, and that scene with his dad, you just want to be like, dick. Like he's just <laughs> like, like that scene for, you know, to say that kind of stuff to a child, whether you hate Ben or not, like you just, you're just like, wow, man, like he, he really did have a rough go as a child. And then, you know, you see why he is the way that he is later in the show. And, you know, he really did go through a lot, obviously, and he wasn't treated properly. And it was, you know, it was crazy. You see later in the episode, you know, where Ben makes his decisions. But uh, that scene with me, like, I just, I'm like, oh, man, this guy is just the worst. <laughs> and that that's one of the things is, like, whenever I find a character, and especially if I'm drawn to a character like Richard for, for one of the reasons that I really like Richard was because of the mystery. I wanted to know everything going on with him uh, for Ben. It was the fact that like, he's always thinking multiple steps ahead, which is something that I tend to do. But then I really started to look at it. And as we see with this episode and, you know, other episodes where we see his interaction with his father, like even in the flash sideways, he's always, like he he has a reason for why he became evil and i think a lot of the best villains quote unquote have that where it's like yeah. there's something that forced them to that point and so what they're doing isn't necessarily evil in their mind it's just life or society or something pushed them to that point and they're finally just pushing back yeah i agree 100% i think that's the overall case with ben i don't think ben you know, was obviously born to be this way, but definitely um, circumstances pushed him in that direction. And when he wanted to, you know, when he wanted out and wanted to find a way to be out, you know, this was the circumstance that ended up happening. So, Right. At the beach camp in the present, everyone now knows about Naomi. Some are discussing how the world thinks they're dead, and some are saying how Jack and his loyalties are still more important than this. Sawyer and Saeed are trying to convince everyone still how Jack and Juliet are acting fishy, and just because he's Jack and been their leader, that doesn't mean that he should still be trusted. And I actually 
touched upon this in uh, a few episodes previously. And I, I mean, it's no, I've, I've talked about it many times. It's no secret. I'm not really the biggest fan of Jack, but this is one of those things like in the previous episode, Kate comes to him and says, you know, like there's this thing, there's a woman in Hurley's tent, meaning Naomi and whatever, and all this stuff. And Juliet says, we should tell her what's going on. And Jack says, no. And I understand to a certain extent, he wants to keep things close to the vest because like that's how he always is as a leader but when he starts to do that sort of thing too much and he's not even trusting the people who he's always trusted which would be kate uh maybe hurley to a certain extent whatever and when they're all questioning him and he continually says you should trust me i've never let you down yes technically he's right but he should also realize because he's an intelligent guy and he gets he sort of gets people so he should at least be able to see why they are hesitant in trusting him yes from his point of view he's never let them down and whatever but he also should look at things from their point of view of you know you are acting a little fishy you know yeah i i hear you i i feel like it's um as i'm with you with the same kind of feelings with jack um this is definitely one of those moments where like a lot of people have like a love hate with Jack for a little while. And this is, I think one of those points where you're still not sure what side of the fence he's on and everything like that. And I just, I don't know. I never really liked the way he conducted himself in certain situations. And this is like the biggest, one of the biggest examples of it. I just don't think that he's, he has everyone's best interest involved sometimes. And I think that this is like, one of those moments where you're like, okay, like maybe Locke is right, you know? So right. at least that's how I feel. But Sawyer then pulls out the tape to play for son. And she hears uh, Juliet's recording from DOC about how she's pregnant. Jack and Juliet then approach and Jack wants to know where they got that. And Juliet tells them to turn the tape over and how she's there for them to take her down. But first to, to turn the tape over this other side has Ben's response, which is that he's sending teams to take Son and any women Juliet finds are pregnant. Juliet goes on to tell Son that she told Jack everything after seeing Son's ultrasound. Jack says he didn't tell anyone because he hadn't made a decision yet, but now they have some catching up to do. And again, that's that same thing where, like, I get it. And again, he's he's often right as much as I, I hate to admit that as somebody who's not a fan of him. He is often right. And it yeah. happened earlier this this season with, you know, leaving on the sub. And he's he didn't want to tell Kate anything because he had this plan and he wanted to keep it to himself. And basically, in his mind, the less people that knew, the better. I get that. However, if he's going to this again, I'll say very briefly, you know, he should at least be looking at it from the other survivor's point of view of he's trusting Juliet, who they don't trust, and he's not letting any of the rest of them in on his place. Even if he had let somebody in, even if it was yeah. Kate, which, I mean, she's not really, you know, you tell her something and she tells everybody, everybody was, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if it had been anybody, you know, and I, I can't think of a character offhand who probably wouldn't have told anybody else. But I think if he had told if if anybody else had come forward and been like, oh, I knew the whole time, I think there might have been a little more leeway with the rest of the survivors. Where if it was like, you know, like Desmond or something saying like, oh, yeah, I knew I was in on this. They yeah. might be like, OK, you know, I can sort of 
I can get it now because you were at least using somebody that we trust, somebody in our little group and not just somebody who we're not sure of, meaning Juliet. Yeah, I agree. I think if it was like somebody who was trusted, whether it be Saeed or Desmond, like you said, um, I don't think it could be somebody quite like Charlie maybe, but I agree with you. I think uh, that would have went a long way in this argument, but obviously that didn't happen that way. So Right. In flashback, young Ben is going for the sonar fence with a deactivation code. He puts it in, turns the settings down, pulls out a white rabbit, and uses it as a test subject. That guy's always had a thing for wanting to hurt little white bunnies. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Once it crosses the way, he determines that it's safe. He heads into the jungle, hearing whispers. He's yelling for his mom, but turns around to find Richard Alpert, Richard has long hair, but looks exactly the same. It's Nestor Carbonell playing the same character. And this is the part. This is one of the main things that makes this, like, especially when I was first watching it, it made me go, okay. And it made me latch on to the Richard character immediately. But every time rewatching it, this episode in particular, I go, this is why it's one of my favorites. We get so much insight into Ben, who's one of my favorites, and it starts to set up this bigger mystery of Richard, who, again, is one of my favorites. And, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this, like, because when you see Richard and he looks exactly the same, you know, like at least the other characters, when you're ta- when you're seeing, like, flashbacks of them, they look a little younger or they're portrayed as, as children. And we never see that with Richard. He's always just the Richard we know and love with eye makeup. And it's like this point you're like, okay, well, Ben's about how old in this and Richard looks exactly the same, just with a different haircut. So what gives with this guy, you know, what makes this guy special? And then it goes back to earlier, you know, earlier in the episode where Ben's like, Oh, you remember birthdays, right? And it's like, okay. Like, it's just kind of something to, to digest a little bit and, and figure out. Exactly. And that, like you said, like, they always portray the character. Like, you know, we see we see uh, Michael Emerson playing, you know, a younger version of grown-up Ben a little later, and they change his hair slightly, <laughs> maybe give him, I don't remember if they gave him a different set of glasses, but basically, like, something like that. When we see Locke, he always has, like, you know, that terrible wig on him. And, you know, we see, and again, even like Jack, you know, put his hair to the other side or, you know, do something like that. And that's a classic TV thing. But, yeah, with Richard, it's just like, oh, let's give Nestor Carbonell just like a little bit longer hair, make him dirty, and then set up a bunch of mysteries for the rest of the series. Yeah, which is awesome. I think it's like it just continuously adds to his uh, his character. So I, I personally thought it was pretty dope. So I... Uh, this like really started to spark my interest with Richard. Beforehand, I was like, "If the animal market, yeah, whatever." Um, but this, I'm like, this is where I started to pick up. Like, okay, this guy is there's something more to what we're being told when it comes to comes to Richard himself. Absolutely. Uh, Richard says that he didn't mean to scare Ben, who starts to back away, and Ben asks if Richard is a hostile, and Richard finds it laughable that he uses this word. He asks Ben what he's doing in the jungle by himself, and Ben tells him how he saw his mother there, but also mentions how she's dead. Richard is intrigued, especially when Ben confirms that she didn't die on the island. She died when he was a baby, as we talked about earlier. 
uh, the fact that that sets up, you know, like, oh, was, was Ben actually special? Uh, he tells Richard how she said that it wasn't time for him yet. Richard says that he should go back, but Ben wants to join Richard and the hostels. Richard tells him that this may be able to happen, but that it will take time and Ben will have to be very, very patient. Which, of course, that line in particular plays into the end of the episode, but yeah. Back in the present, Ben and Locke come upon an old shack in the jungle at night. They start to enter and Ben tells Locke to turn his flashlight off because Jacob feels the same way about technology as Locke does. As they go in, Ben lights a lantern and says how there's no turning back. They go in, and I don't know why, and again, maybe it's just because it's my favorite episode and I, I love the character of Ben, but I love Michael Emerson's line where he just goes, Jacob, I'm here with John Locke. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, just the way he says it, I'm here with John Locke. <laughs> yeah, it's his like voice like inflection there, I find hysterical as well every time that I watch it. I definitely laugh to myself every single time, but I also always think to myself, like, Jacob's just like, all-knowing being he should know your aunt like he knows you're coming he, like you know what i mean like you've portrayed him as this like god so he would know already right like if i'm john mock that's what i'm thinking i'm thinking like okay like more games like this is where we're at right now so yeah there yeah there is something to be said about that um I didn't really. Okay, here's how I how I wrote the notes for the scene. Because like one, I was just laughing the whole time. But like, it's just a matter of like, there's so much going on, but yet nothing going on at the same time. I wrote Ben basically talks to an empty chair, has a full on conversation with no one, but insists that Jacob is sitting there. He tries introducing Jacob to John, but John points out how he's acting crazy. He says Ben is crazy, doesn't know anything about the island, and made it all up. Ben tries keeping up the conversation with the empty chair, because every so often, I love this, where he's just like, would you let me, you know, I can't listen to the both of you at the same time. <laughs> like, that's, I just love that sort of thing. And he still insists that there's someone there, but Locke yells for him to shut up. Ben says that he's sorry that Locke is too limited to see. And I think that's... I love that line. Yes. Oh, my God. I love it. I think that that is like one of the biggest, like, I, I don't want to say, like, turning points of the show, but it's, like, one of those lines that just kind of, like, sits with you and, like, resonates when it comes to both of their characters. And you're like, okay, like, this is a very deep, um, ingrained, like, storyline that's going to happen with these two. Like, you just, you felt it right from there where it was like, this is going to go on. It's going to be just a battle between these two from here on out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, As Locke goes to leave, he hears a deep voice say, help me. And if I'm not mistaken, that's actually Carlton Cuse's voice, uh, executive producer and one of the, the head writers. Locke turns around questioning this, but Ben claims he doesn't know what Locke is talking about. Locke thinks Ben said this, but Ben says that he didn't. He raises, uh, Locke raises his flashlight and the room begins to shake and sort of take on a life of its own. Glass smashes, numerous things move, etc. Ben grabs hold of the chair and tells Jacob to knock it off, saying he's had his fun. But he's thrown back against a wall and we see a figure in the chair. This is actually Rob Kiker, the prop master for the show. And Locke runs out of the cabin. 
A moment later, Ben walks out disturbed as well. When Locke asks, what was that? Ben simply responds, that was Jacob. Yep. So just a premise for everyone who's listening. I, this like scene, I have tattooed on my, on my body. I have the cabin in the woods with a light coming from the window. Uh, this is like one of my favorite scenes of the entire show just because it's there's so many elements and so many layers to it. Um, you don't know what's real. You don't know who to believe. And it's just absolute chaos there at the end where, you know, Ben gets thrown across the room onto the wall and he's talking to an empty chair. But then you see somebody, you know, like a quick glance of uh, someone that's not Locke or Ben. And just this scene for me was like one of the best scenes in the entire show it was shot so well um the chemistry between uh terry o'quinn and uh michael emerson this was just fantastic um so yeah i remember reading a thing uh now i actually the last time you were on i shared on the clock shelves accounts the picture of your tattoos i don't have that picture handy is that picture in the 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 cabin tattoo is that in that picture it's not. So the one that I gave you was previous to um, since that picture was taken. I had the cabin with uh, the black smoke monster around it added to my forearm. And on the back side of my forearm, I now have the lighthouse from season six. Okay. So I will uh, I'll send you updated pictures. That way you can uh, use those if you want. Awesome. Uh, I was going to say, I do remember based off of this scene, cause this is, uh, this is absolutely one of my favorite scenes as well. I'm, I don't, I actually don't have any tattoos, so I'm not that like <laughs> hardcore <laughs> about it, but, uh, I, uh, I, rem- you know, I, this is one of those ones and, and I've said it many times, almost every episode where like knowing, wanting to know all the things about the Island and the mythology and all of that was like always my big thing with the show. And so I would often go back to like this article on Lostpedia, the article about the cabin, you know, mm-hmm. the mysterious figure in the cabin and all this sort of stuff. And I remember uh, on Lostpedia and in various other places across the Internet, one of the things of speculation was that because, you know, you see the guy and like I said, it's actually the, the guy who was the prop master for the show. But you see like that, like that sort of outline, the silhouette of him. And it looks like he has like some hair, but he is sort of bald and he has people thought that he had a similar facial structure to Terry mm-hmm. O'Quinn. And I remember reading uh, and again, this was before we ever met Jacob at the end of of season five. But it was like during the break between four and five and then almost all throughout season five, I would, you know, like I said, I would just go back to all of this all the time. And there were people who thought that uh this this figure that Locke sees was actually an older version of himself. Somehow he went from being bald to having hair. Not quite sure how that <laughs> happened, but they thought that it was like an older version of himself. And again, especially with time travel coming into play in season five 
and you know various other like mysterious aspects of the show people thought that there was going to be some sort of thing where we would sort of see this scene from a different perspective at another point where it would we would see that mysterious figure which was actually locks for some reason going by jacob instead of john at this point and you know whatever and i I always thought that was kind of cool obviously it went a very different way but I always thought that was kind of a cool thing if they had done it. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely glad they went the way they did. I think it worked out. But, yeah, I, I remember reading, like, a lot of speculation where people thought that was the case. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, like, one of the coolest things about this show is that people can sit down and talk about it however many years later or when the show was going on and just kind of sit here and, like, have a discussion about things that weren't answered. And I think they – obviously did that on purpose but i think that intention was just met by the fandom entirely and everyone can kind of let you know their uh creative their own creative juice kind of flow and try to connect two pieces that may not have been intended to be put together and uh form their own theories which is awesome but i i could see that i could i i wouldn't have a hard time believing that if that's what it what it was you know i would definitely respect that opinion for sure right The next day, they're walking back through the jungle, and Ben wants to know what Locke heard Jacob say. But Locke still believes that it was Ben who spoke, so he should know. He says he isn't impressed by the show that Ben put on for him last night, and it's time the others knew the truth. He also realizes that they're not going back the same way they came, but Ben wants to show him one more thing. Ben says how some things that he said to Locke and to others were lies such as him being born on the island and he wants to show Locke where he actually came from in flashback Ben but Michael Emerson as we as I mentioned earlier still younger than the present day is getting ready for Dharma work he is also a workman and he sees the doll that Annie gave him years earlier Outside, waiting for him, is older Roger trying to get beer into the back of the van. As they're driving, Roger says how Ben is usually talkative, but today is different. Ben says how it's his birthday, and he doesn't understand why he thinks that Roger will ever remember. But Roger says after their run to the Pearl, they'll drink some beers and have some father-son time. And Ben, I believe at that point, Ben's like, oh, I think that'd be nice or I'd like that or something. Yeah, he was kind of like shocked by it. And uh, I think kind of, you know, now we're how many years ahead and we've probably been going through the same. He's been going through the same thing with his father year in and year out. So it was a little bit of a surprise, I think, to like everybody where it was like, okay, like maybe his father's going to change with his old age and stop being bitter and, you know, try to try to make things right. And in typical Lost fashion, you know, (laughs) the character finally changes. You finally go, oh, all right, maybe there is something to like about this character. And then uh, (laughs) Roger drives as Shambhala plays. They look out at the beautiful view. Ben asks if Roger really blames him for Emily's death, and Roger doesn't have a sufficient answer. Ben keeps looking at his watch and Roger notices asking him about it before saying he'll try to better he'll try better to remember his birthday next year, but Ben informs him that this won't happen. He then starts to get something out of his bag while telling Roger how he's missed Emily too, but while Roger had to deal with Ben, Ben had to deal with Roger, which required patience. 
He puts on a gas mask and says goodbye to his father. He opens a gas canister and watches his father die. Like I said, typical lost fashion. Yep, it was just another very powerful scene because, you know, obviously anyone who loses a parent, he had lost one in the beginning of the show or at the beginning of this episode, not the end of this episode. He's taking it upon his himself to rid his life of his other parent, which that alone is obviously a very, uh, very crazy thought and action. Um, you know, and then we eventually see why he, uh, what the plan was for him. But I do like how they came full circle with, with the patients and he, uh, Michael Emerson was just very powerful with his acting here. I think he was just hands down, just immaculate in this episode. Um, And this being obviously one of the more powerful scenes for sure. He definitely uh, captured everything that you would expect him to. I want to say somebody said he submitted and I could be wrong. I didn't, I didn't look it up, but I want to say somebody said that he submitted this for like one of the awards shows or something. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is like, Really, I mean, when you think about that scene and take it for what it is, even out of out of context, people who didn't watch the show would understand how powerful it was. So I, I could see that being a very smart decision on his part. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was also going to mention the fact, uh, like in the previous episode, and I mentioned it very briefly in that discussion, this also sort of relates to his feelings on Locke with Anthony Cooper where, you know, like, uh, and Locke sort of keeps going, like, why do I have to kill my father or whatever? And like to Ben, that was basically the way that he helped prove himself to the others or the natives or the hostiles or whatever word you want to use to describe them. So it wasn't necessarily that far fetched for Ben to basically say, and I mean, in Locke's case, it did in, in theory, it de- did need to be done because that was how he, you know, would move on to the next chapter of his life, basically, yeah. as part of the others. But it's not necessarily that far-fetched for him to be like, well, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I killed my dad to do it, so you can kill your dad to do it, too. <laughs> yeah, I think that that was kind of where, he, like, in retrospect, maybe he was going with it. Or when you think about, like, if he is thinking that... Locke is going to be his successor that if Ben had to give up his mother and his father to take over the island, then Locke should have to do the same. You know, it's, it's weird. And I mean, I've noticed it before, but this episode actually, this, this one and referring back to the, the previous one as well, they, they do focus a lot on the similarities between these characters. Like, like we were talking about, like you just said, you know, like if Ben did recognize that it was Locke's turn to take over like I said before about, you know, when Ben took over from uh, Widmore and the fact that, you know, they both didn't know their mothers growing up and the fact that they both had, like, once they got, I mean, for Ben, it was his whole life. For Locke, it was, a you know, for just a little while, he had, like, a really crappy father and all this sort of stuff. And just the, the fact that they have a communion with the island and then it, it temporarily gets taken away. And there's so much... Uh, mirroring in their characters it's it's really awesome to see like when you get to go back and do something like this where you not only get to rewatch it but you get to have like for me especially i get to have people where i get to have you know different people every week and talk with them about it and whatever i love that yeah absolutely back at the barracks 
Ben walks in with the gas mask still on. The purge has happened. The Dharma workers are all dead. He notices Horace on a bench and closes Horace's eyes. And I always like that because, like, that's a, it seems like that's a very human moment for Ben because he's like, Horace was always nice, you know? So I think he wanted to give him sort of that dignity of, like, letting his eyes be closed. Yeah, I agree. Richard and the hostiles arrive before checking their watches and taking the masks off to breathe. And if I'm not mistaken, Richard is the first one to do it and basically lets everybody else know that it's okay, right? Correct. Yeah, he breaks he breaks the mask first, which I, I he can't die. Right. That's what I, I was thinking. I, I know what so, you're thinking. I'm I'm thinking the same thing. Like whenever you know I go back I mean? and watch like, it now, so it's like okay, like if he ever were to put himself in harm, does it really matter? Because he's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of. I always like. When I was re-watching it right before we uh, we got the show started, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I'm like, he's the one testing the air, but would he really show signs of symptoms if it, the air wasn't good? You know what I mean? But, right, but I think it's I, – I, you're right, but I think it's a matter of uh, he would know, well, okay, this isn't – this isn't yeah. air that I should, you know, that I should be breathing. So I'm not going to let the rest of them take their masks off yet if it, if the air was bad. But yeah, no, I, I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> Richard asks if Ben wants them to get Roger's body, but Ben insists that they leave it out there. And of course, we know what happened to that body. Ben mentions, uh, I'm sorry, back in the present, Locke is standing over a mass grave with some skeletons still wearing Dharma jumpsuits. Ben mentions how this is Dharma and this is where he came from. They came for harmony, but couldn't even coexist with the natives on the island. They had to be purged. Ben did what he had to do. He had to be smart and join the side that didn't end up in the ditch. And he says that that makes him smarter than John. He then shoots Locke, who falls among the skeletons. Ben asks what Jacob said to Locke, and Locke finally says, Help me, which he confirms this is what Jacob actually said. Ben then lets out a laugh, saying, Well, I certainly hope he helps you, John. Ben leaves, leaving him to die in the ditch. Yep, this is, uh, I mean, again, another crazy powerful scene because, you know, you're kind of left with what happens with John from this point forward. You know, obviously you see Ben is just being completely fueled by jealousy at this point. Because he says, like, you know, he spoke to you. And now even Locke, I think, is understanding. And his speculation, you know, he was skeptical the whole time. So now he's kind of thinking, like, okay, this really was all just nonsense. This was all just Ben being Ben, Um, you know. And I think that's going to – that leaves Locke with questions, obviously, outside of him having a hole in his uh, stomach. That is actually my last note for the episode. I feel bad. Like I, I touted this one at the beginning as like my favorite episode. And I feel like I didn't actually take enough notes. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, but I feel like it's, it's, this episode is, is great, but I also feel like it's very direct. There's not, um, there's not a ton of hidden elements in this one. You know, it's more of just straight storyline where you're understanding like, this is why Ben is the way that he is. 
walks on this quest. Now we understand that Ben's also fueled by jealousy because he knows Locke is going to be taking or supposed to be taking his job. He tries to kill him. You know, and you see some other good facets like with Richard and with Ben's daughter, kind of like, you know, with the gun and everything. And you, you see that, uh, those connections. But I think that this episode was just like a straight 42 minutes of just great backstory and great, like, show advancement on, you know, where everything was headed. Absolutely. Do we have any other final thoughts on this episode? Uh, I mean, not for me. I think I, you know, we hit pretty much everything. I think, uh, you know, for people that, like I said, um, go back and think of when you are doing your rewatch, think of Ben as the man behind the curtain from the second that you meet him. And uh, you may appreciate him a little bit differently. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, when I, uh, if I, if I can find that article again, I will be tweeting that out, the one about the volcano. Um, I look forward to seeing the pictures of your tattoos as well. Yeah, I tweeted, I tweeted the, uh, I DM'd them to you on Twitter, so you'll have those. Um, let me know what you think. That's honestly like, yes, it's my favorite episode, but this is actually my favorite part of my tattoo so far. Um, I think like the artist just made it come out so perfect. So uh, I hope you enjoy it, man. All right. Do you want to let them know your Twitter and all the other cool stuff that you do so they can follow you? Yeah, sure. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at KingCash, K-A-S-C-H, 22. Um, I, I've been posted on a bunch of, like, the different uh, lost Twitters and stuff like that for, you know, my, my tattoos, obviously, and uh, some of the other things that I tweet about. Um, I do also uh, stream video games on Twitch. Uh, you can find me there at twitch.tv slash KingCash. Um, I will – I am – regularly streaming i love when people come in and talk about whatever whether it's sports or tv shows lost um the other night we had a great conversation with someone about stranger things i would love for some losses to stop in and uh you know we can we can chop it up a little bit and uh enjoy each other's company all right thank you so much man for being on this episode i'm, I'm so glad that like you said you this was one of your favorites it's one of my favorites we got to really dissect it i mean because you know that's I don't want to say if that's the worst because it's not, but you know, when you get somebody who's like, Oh, I don't really like this episode unless yeah. like it's, it's a little more difficult and I'm not naming anybody in particular and, and nobody message me cause I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. <laughs> I'm just saying in general, I've, I, I know how that goes even just in general conversation with people where they're just like, Oh yeah, I'm not really that big on that. And it's, it's a little difficult to talk to them, you know? Yeah, for sure. I completely understand that. Uh, but until next time, I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. Hey, this is Jorge. Thanks for listening to Lost with Friends.